Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. My name's Sandman, and I'm your host. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. Well, it's Friday, June 7, 2019, and that means it's time for another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast, Parareality Radio. Well, some of you may have missed me on the second Friday in May last month, and that's because, well, I took a week off. Sometimes things come up that are beyond our control, and they unfortunately have to take priority. But now that all that's taken care of, I'm back and ready to bring you more of the best in paranormal podcasting. I also want to uh, take just a, a quick moment and thank all of the people who uh, wrote in and uh, <clears throat> excuse me wrote in and, and wrote on my on the the show Facebook page uh, wishing me a happy birthday. My birthday was on June the fifth, just a couple of days ago, and I uh, had a nice birthday with my my beautiful, gorgeous, sexy wife. And as a matter of fact. She's going to take me out again tonight for my birthday. So I feel very blessed. And thank you all for those happy birthday wishes. I couldn't get back to each and every one of you, but I thank you. And I really appreciate your birthday well wishes. You know, I've had some people email me and ask me where in the hell has Eric P. been lately? He's supposed to be hosting on the second episode of every month. And he's been MIA lately, and I've had some people who have asked about his whereabouts, wanting to know if he's quit the show, been fired, something happened, something wrong, stuff like that. Well, don't worry. It's a scheduling thing. It's pretty much uh, been a complete impossibility to work our schedules out over the last couple of months. Uh, he, he did take a vacation uh, at one point, and then uh, we've just had scheduling problems so he hasn't quit or anything like that and as a matter of fact I have some good news he'll be making his return to the show on the June 21st episode so don't worry everybody Eric P is alive and well everything is fine he will be coming back on the second episode of this month and I am anxious to get him back I always enjoy the interactions that I get with Eric he's a really really good guy Fine young gentleman, and I like him a lot. Okay, so now that all that's been taken care of, you're probably wondering what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Every state here in the U.S. has an unusual part of its history. It seems that even though the U.S. is, by comparison to the rest of the world, it's it's pretty young, there are plenty of paranormal stories to go around. Just because the U.S. wasn't quote-unquote officially discovered until 1492, let's not forget that the continent itself has been around for centuries, basically since the beginning of, the, of the, the planet, right? And it's really just as old as everywhere else is here on Earth. And of course, that means that it's had plenty of time to be the home of some very unusual, scary creatures and scary things going on. And many of these things are located right here in the good old South. Specifically, I'm talking about Tennessee. The southeastern state of Tennessee, 
where I call home, is the birthplace of things like bluegrass music, my favorite soda Mountain Dew, miniature golf, the tow truck, and if you're a whiskey drinker, Jack Daniels whiskey. It's tied with Missouri as the state that borders the most other states, a total of eight, and it's also the 36th largest state, but right now it's the 16th most populated. Some famous Tennesseans include Johnny Cash, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Morgan Freeman, Quentin Tarantino, Al Gore, Oprah Winfrey, and let's all take a moment here, pro wrestling legend Ric Flair. I love Ric Flair. I've got a Ric Flair t-shirt that I was wearing the other day. And a shout out to Ric. He just had some some more surgery. So I hope things are going great and I hope you recover very quickly, Ric Flair. So um, another thing that's, that's famous in Tennessee, most people don't know about, yeah, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't say famous, but another thing that Tennessee has that most people don't know about is that um, it um, there's a town called Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that was established in the 40s as part of the Manhattan Project that produced the first atomic bomb. So Tennessee has ties with the Manhattan Project. This state is a very short state as far as north to south goes. It's very narrow but it's long east to west. It's 440 miles long. And we've got all kinds of things here as far as geographical areas go. We've got forest, plains, lakes, rivers, and mountains. As a matter of fact, I'm going to the mountains uh, week after next on my vacation. Uh, Don't worry. There will be an episode of Reality Radio that will air during that week. Eric and I are going to pre-record it on Sunday so you'll have your episode of Pair Reality Radio. So Tennessee is rich with history, and much of that history is dark. Tennessee not only has its share of cryptids, like I talked about in my last episode, but it's also home to many other ghosts and spirits. Some of these spirits are angry, some of them are sad, and some of them... We just really don't even know why they're hanging around. Nonetheless, our state here in Tennessee is full of them. So on this episode of Reality Radio, I'll be taking a look at some of Tennessee's most famous or infamous haunted locations by giving you a countdown of my personal top 10 haunted locations in the state. But before I start with that, let me tell you how you can get in contact with me because, as you know, there are many different ways you can do it. First of all, you can send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. You can also look up the show's Facebook page. Just do a a search for uh, Parareality Radio. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at Para Real Radio, that's P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-R-A-D-I-O, all one word, Para Real Radio. So you can email me, sandman at parareality.com, look up the Para Reality Radio Facebook page, follow me on Twitter at Para Real Radio, and you can also, if you want to, call the studio line and leave me a message, that number is 615-692-1170. Once again, 615-692-1170. 
Leave me a message if you want, but just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show. If you do not wish for me to play your comment on the show, you need to tell me, please don't play this on the show. You never know, I may also answer the phone too, because I'm now that I'm, I'm back to doing the, the podcast uh, every other week, it seems like I'm always in the studio working on something, so you just may actually catch me. I may actually answer the phone, you never know. But I'd love to hear your your questions, your comments. If you have a paranormal encounter or story, UFO encounter, anything weird, unusual, call the studio line, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message, and I'd love to play your story back on the show. Hell, I may even call you for an interview. You never know. So now that all of that's over with, and I have wasted everyone's, what, first 10 minutes of the show Let's get on and let's start talking about my top 10 most haunted places here in the state of Tennessee. By the way, this is the second in a series of three episodes that I am doing on Haunted Tennessee. The first one was uh, Famous Cryptids. This one is the 10 most haunted places in Tennessee. And then on the next installment which will be in the first week of July, I'm going to be doing uh, haunted locations specific to the Nashville area, which you know is my hometown. So if uh, you've noticed the, a pattern here, a theme, you're not wrong. So if you want to know about some uh, haunted locations here specifically to the Nashville area, make sure you turn on and tune in and find out on the first Friday in July. Okay, my top 10 most haunted locations in Tennessee. We're going to count down from 10 to 1. So here we go. Number 10 is the Bell Witch Cave in Adams, Tennessee. One of the most famous ghost stories from Tennessee has got to be the tale of the Bell Witch. Even those who aren't particularly interested in the paranormal probably know about this story. The Bell Witch was said to have murdered John Bell and tormented his entire family with poltergeist-style activity for several years. At one point, things were so intense that President Andrew Jackson himself paid a visit to John Bell's house, and he actually refused to stay in the house overnight. It's a very interesting story. This malicious spirit is said to be an extremely wicked woman named Kate Batts. She was malevolent in her life, and even more so in death, as evidenced by her murderous ghosts. She's said to still haunt the cave next to John Bell's farm, and the cave is thought to be one of the most haunted places in Tennessee. Some of the most common reported activity includes sightings of strange-looking animals, rattling chains, an unexpected knocking. Now, Kate Batts, the Bell Witch ghost, is accredited, if you believe the story, with the first, and as far as I know, uh, only uh, murder associated or attributed to a actual ghost where you can say a ghost actually did it. Now, you may be wondering why I put one of the most famous ghost stories in Tennessee as my number 10 and didn't put it higher. 
Well, it's because I have a problem with the Bell Witch and the Bell Witch Cave. So here, here's the deal. Okay, when the story goes, John Bell moved onto this property, built his house, and uh, had been living there for, for a while, and then all of a sudden she, he starts getting uh, attacked, him and his family, by the ghost of Kate Bats. Now, as far as I know, he never personally did anything directly to Kate Bats. Um, I could be getting the story wrong. But why would uh, a, a witch, the ghost of a witch randomly just picked someone to start terrorizing and torturing. And she did this with his whole entire family and is thought to have poisoned him and killed him. That's how it it supposedly happened. But what I have a problem with mainly is the fact that what they say is haunted is a cave on his property. Why the cave? What there's no in the story. If you read about the bell, Witch. There's no mention of a cave or anything coming out of a cave or anything living in a cave. So why the cave? I don't understand why the cave is reportedly haunted. And why would you be hearing uh, unexplained rattling chains and knocking coming from a cave? It just doesn't make sense to me. I So in my personal opinion... I don't think that it's the cave itself in Adams, Tennessee that's haunted. I think it's the location, the property of John Bell. That's what's haunted. It's not necessarily the cave, but the people who own the property are making money off of the cave. They're letting you, you know, they may, may let you pay money to go into the cave. It's a big Halloween thing. Now, I've never been there myself. I started to go one time, and things fell through. And the more that I've researched all this and 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 uh, heard stories about it, the more that I am really disinclined to believe that the Bell Witch Cave is actually haunted. If there is a haunting there, it has got to be the property itself and not necessarily the cave. And shame on the people who own that property for selling something that's not haunted as a haunted attraction. Shame on you for doing that. I don't like that. So, got that out of the way. And now we're going to move along to number nine, which is uh, some of these places you've probably heard of, by the way, uh, like the Bell Witch Cave. Uh, some of these places you probably haven't unless you live in or around these locations in Tennessee. Perfect example is number nine on my list, the Carton Plantation in Franklin, Tennessee. One of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War took place less than a mile from the Carton Mansion in Franklin, Tennessee. And this happened on November the 30th, 1864. The Confederate Army of Tennessee attacked the Federal Army's uh, quickly fortified position, and the Battle of Franklin ensued, resulting in enormous casualties. The frontal assault was actually larger than Pickett's charge at Gettysburg. Now, this whole thing only lasted one evening, but in these few hours, it resulted in over 8,500 casualties. Over 6,000 of those casualties were Confederate troops, 
And this battle saw the greatest loss of Confederate generals compared to any other battle in the Civil War. Carnton Plantation has the unusual feature of having a front porch that overlooks the graveyard where approximately 1,700 or so Confederate troops were buried in the wake of that bloody battle. Carnton's proximity made it the perfect spot to serve as a field hospital during the Battle of Franklin. The bodies of four Confederate generals, Patrick Claiborne, John Adams, Ortho F. Strahl, and Hiram B. Granberry were all laid out on the back porch there after they died. And the bloodstains of these men who were treated there are still able to be seen today. Now, the staff there at the mansion held on to the bodies of the generals so that survivors of the, the battle would later be able to come and pay their respects. So, why am I telling you all this backstory? Well, because you need to know. All of this explains why so many witnesses have seen the ghost of Confederate soldiers roaming around the mansion and its grounds. However, these are not the only spirits said to haunt the Carnton Mansion. It's also been suggested that the spirits of the Carnton children are also haunting their former home since only two of the five children survived to adulthood. So all of this is more than enough to secure the Carnton Mansion as one of the most haunted houses in Tennessee, but there are more restless spirits there than just those soldiers and those kids. Among the other spirits spotted in the mansion are a young girl who was supposedly murdered by a jealous suitor, the family cook who is struggling to let go of her duties to the family, and a beautiful woman with long, dark hair. Spirits of the Fallen are especially active in the autumn months at dusk. One of the generals isn't able to rest because he knew his men wouldn't hold up too well and is still worrying about the coming battle that he knew would be a bloodbath. That's one of the theories there. Uh, This spirit is the spirit of uh, General Pat Cleburne. He was a, a man with a mustache and a short beard, and they said he had very piercing eyes. And it said that he paces the back porch, walks around the outside perimeter of the mansion, and on occasion talks to people. So Carnton Mansion has a lot of different hauntings going on, and this is right down the road from where I live, and it's uh, in Franklin, Tennessee. And I have been to the outside of Carnton Mansion. I have never been inside the mansion. And if you're wondering how how it's spelled, it's Carnton, C-A-R-N-T-O-N, Carnton, Carnton Mansion in Franklin, Tennessee. So we have spirits of generals, spirits of children, spirits of other little girls, women, cooks, a lot of different things going on there. So there's a lot of death, violent death and murder associated with Carnton Mansion. And of course, if you have, you know, five children and three of them die, it's very, very common for the spirits of those children to hang around because they don't, in my opinion, 
they don't know that they're supposed to go to the light, or maybe they're scared. They're forever young. They don't understand what's going on around them. Number eight takes us to Sevierville, Tennessee, at the Wheatlands Plantation. Wheatlands Plantation has a long history that's marred by murder, death, and destruction. It's really no surprise to those who know the history that this house has been named one of the most haunted houses in Tennessee. This isn't the first house to stand on the property. The original actually burned to the ground in 1825, and it killed four children in the process. And this probably explains why there's so many reports of childlike spirits in the basement of the quote-unquote new building that was built on the site. There's also a mass grave on the property, which is said to hold the remains of 28 Cherokee Native Americans, two Revolutionary War soldiers, and about 70 slaves. Man, that is a huge, massive grave. There's been more than 70 known murders on this property, and some of the walls are still stained with blood to this day. So it's no wonder that this place is crawling with spirits. If you go into the home, you might spot blood stains in the home's parlor. After the owner of the estate left Wheatland Plantation to her grandson, his jealous father confronted him and in turn was murdered by his own son with an iron poker out of the fireplace. Although the floors have been cleaned numerous times, the bloodstains keep returning. And we have reports of children running around in the basement. Now, I have been to Wheatland's Plantation. Um, I have seen the uh, the bloodstains, what they call our bloodstains, on, uh, on the floors and stuff. And it's very compelling. I did not experience uh, any paranormal activity while I was there. Uh, but I have been there. And um, it is a uh, a very interesting place to go see, not just for the, the the haunted history, but for the history itself. Moving along to number seven, we move along to Rotherwood Mansion in Kingsport, Tennessee. <clears throat> now, Kingsport is a little bit far away from here. And uh, I have never been to this mansion. However, the story behind this is just, is it, it's so sad and tragic. Houses are living things. I've said this before. Uh, I, I, I think that my the house that I live in, I think that we imbibe our houses, especially if we love our homes and we stay there for long periods of time, which it doesn't seem to take place as much these days as it used to. But if we love where we live, we love our home, and we stay there in long for over long periods of time, we imbibe some of our spirituality and some of ourselves into the, the walls and the foundation of the home. And it literally can become like a living thing. It absorbs so much energy, both good and bad. Homes, they see, they hear, they breathe. 
Sometimes I think they breathe in, like I said, what we put into them. And when they exhale, they put out whatever they took in to begin with. Now only it's changed into something new, be it an echo of happiness or or silent screams of sorrow. Sometimes I feel they can take in something awful and then breathe out something truly hellish. This toxic cloud of energy or whatever etheric matter is made of, it it moves, slinking from room to room, drifting on the edges of our consciousness until it can feel inside of our minds, taking on twisted forms and degenerate shadows plucked from our fears and worries. Or maybe, just maybe, it could be that Something once lived that was so vile, so cruel and inhumane that the very fabric of whatever lays beyond this life rejects it and it becomes trapped here with us, walking side by side, waiting to pray again. This could be exactly what is going on in Kingsport, Tennessee with Rotherwood Mansion. It sits on the very banks of the Holston River, high on a hill. It's this majestic manor home with red bricks, dark shutters, and uh, breathtaking 30-foot-high Doric columns that line the front porch. It gives anyone who stands on that porch a commanding view of the river and of the lands beyond it. It's three stories tall. This home is the source of all of Kingsport or what would be the town later on. It's intricate ties to Kingsport make it a source of great pride and haunting creeping dread for those people who live near it. It even has a name pulled from the works of Sir Walter Scott, Rotherwood. Rotherwood, as so many places like it began, didn't begin with malice or evil, but its fate And often those who were tied to it was doomed the moment the first brick was laid. It was built in 1818 by a wealthy reverend named Frederick Ross. He intended the home to be a sanctuary, but instead it became a place of horror and despair. You see, Ross had a daughter named Rowena, and she was supposed to be married at Rotherwood. On her wedding day, Rowena, there's my creepy clock, Every episode. On her wedding day, Rowena and her family and the groom and his family had gathered before the ceremony and they were having a good time laughing, you know, joking, partying. And the groom and several of his friends decided to try their hand at fishing before the wedding ceremony was to take place. So they took a small boat out onto the Holston and they were in plain sight of the house. But unfortunately, as Rowena and everyone watched, Rowena's life changed forever, and fate dealt her a cruel hand. You see, the Holston River is notorious for its dangerous currents and eddies, and somehow the boat that the men were in capsized, and of course they all went over. The problem with that is you have these dangerous currents, these swift currents that are coming, and it was during the winter months, so it was kind of cold outside. So everyone on shore was watching in horror as the men were floundering in the water, 
and the surging currents were pulling them down over and over and over again. But miraculously, three of the four men made it back to shore. Unfortunately for Rowena, her true love never surfaced and his body was never recovered. So as you can imagine, Rowena was devastated by this loss and she fell into a deep depression. The once vibrant, beautiful young woman became a virtual recluse, secluding herself away in her third floor bedroom, looking out of her window at the river, silently mourning her lost life and lost love. For the next two years, Rowena saw no one but gradually began to come out again, socializing in small bursts, until a man happened to cross her path, and again she felt the pull of love calling on her. This rich young man was from Knoxville, and while he was not her first true love, she was willing to try. She was able to marry this man. But unfortunately, fate, however, struck once again, another shockwave of grief slamming into her as her new husband died not long after their wedding vows, Uh, Yellow fever was what killed him. And once again, Rowena fell into a deep depression. And this time, it didn't break for more than a decade. One last time, Rowena tried to be happy, and she did marry again. This time, her life seemed to be on the right track. And she even had a daughter with her new husband. And for six years, she finally seemed to find the happiness that had so eluded her in her life. However, once again, she was left devastated when her daughter died. It's unknown how or why, but what is known is how her story, the story of Rowena, came to its tragic end. What's known is this. During a vacation back at Rotherwood to see her father, Rowena said that she had seen the ghost of her first love, her true love. She said that she had heard his spirit calling to her and had seen his pale white hand reach out from the dark waters of the Holston and beckon for her. So that night, she slipped into her wedding gown, the garment flowing behind her like angels' white wings as she made her way silently outside, late at night, barefoot, following the trail to the shores of the river, before slowly and calmly wading into the water, walking until the water was up to her neck, and finally she vanished below the surface, taking her own life. So could it be that Rowena was cursed? Is that why she still roams the property, always looking for her true love? Later, the mansion was purchased by a cruel slave owner who said to have tortured his slaves relentlessly and mercilessly, killing and torturing and maiming them over and over again. Did his evil deeds contribute to the hauntings at Rotherwood Mansion? Many have said that this guy is to blame for a menacing presence that takes the form of a black dog that is seen roaming the property at night. There's also been reports of maniacal laughter and of terrifying faces peering in the windows at night. Not out of the windows, but in the windows. Terrifying faces and laughter appearing, peering into the windows. The ghost of Rowena still haunts the grounds looking for her true love. Was she in fact cursed? 
Was that really her true love that was beckoning to her? Did she imagine it all? Apparently, they were never reunited whenever she took her own life. Or maybe the reason they weren't united is because she took her own life. Nevertheless, she still roams the grounds of Rotherwood Mansion searching for her true love today and can be seen wearing the white flowing wedding gown on occasion. Rotherwood is said because of the evil that took place there from the slave owner that it is a evil cursed land and anyone who owns the property always has bad luck. Scary story, right? That takes us to number six, the Pegram Family Cemetery in Pegram, Tennessee. Now, this one is straight up out of the Poltergeist movie. Back in 1970, a group of developers bulldozed an area along the Harpeth River while working on a housing development. However, in the process, they tragically destroyed the Pegram Family Cemetery. Uh, Dirt from the cemetery was sold as fill dirt across two different counties. It's just, oh, that's just asking for so much trouble. First, you bulldoze a a family, not just any cemetery, but a family cemetery. And then you take that dirt from the cemetery, and you're like, oh, I'm going to sell it and profit from it. Now you have cursed dirt, right? So five years later, the Harpeth River flooded. And all the homes built on the land that this developers built on uh, were were flooded, as well as you know what was left of the cemetery there. And during the flood, there are some coffins that had not been relocated that floated to the surface, a la Poltergeist, the movie style. And one of these coffins in particular belonged to the town's very first postmistress, Carrie P- Pegram Heath. Since then, the town has had nothing but bad lucks. But bad luck. It floods regularly, and the seemingly cursed land has had no end of financial hardships. Uh, um, there's uh, one story about the, uh, the, the I think it's the, the city hall is like $500,000 in debt or something like that. Uh, there's just an, an overall feeling of unrest and malice lingering, lingering in the air in this town. And some of the homeowners have claimed to see tombstones from the Pegram Family Cemetery appearing and disappearing out on their property, like in their garden and on the front yard, in the front yard, in the backyard, and stuff like that. And you, you can't, man, can you imagine what? And I'm, I'm not saying that, that the movie. Poltergeist was based on this because I don't have any um, evidence to support that, but it's a very big coincidence. And can you imagine what it would be like to 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 live in a home knowing that there were coffins and in, in, in bodies right up underneath the foundation of your home? That this was a cemetery that they just straight up bulldozed, and it was like, oops, well let's relocate some of these bodies. And the this cursed dirt thing, I mean, there's got to be something to that. Because they sold the dirt as landfill for, 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 for two counties, across two counties. A lot of it being right there in Pegram, right? So you have all these people who have nothing. Their house isn't even on the Pegram Family Cemetery. 
they're across town somewhere, but maybe they have a dump truck load of this fill dirt in their on their property for whatever reason, and now they're having bad luck too. The whole town is cursed. This freaking cursed dirt's everywhere. It's cursed the whole town. And until somebody goes in there and makes it right, and I don't know what that would entail, but until someone goes in there and starts making it right, you're not going to have any rest of these spirits here in, in, in Pegram. Man, I just can't imagine. I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I have no desire to go to Pegram, Tennessee. And that brings us to the halfway point. But before I go through the top five of my 10 most haunted locations in Tennessee, let me go back through number 10 to number six and give you my 10 through six most haunted locations in Tennessee. Number 10, the Bell Witch Cave in Adams, Tennessee. Number nine, the Carnton Plantation in Franklin, Tennessee. Number eight, the Wheatlands Plantation in Sevierville, Tennessee. Number seven, the Rotherwood Mansion in Kingsport, Tennessee. And of course, number six, the one we just got finished talking about, the Pegram Family Cemetery in Pegram, Tennessee. Now we're going to go to the top five. Number five on my list is the Hermitage Hotel right here in Nashville, the Big Nasty. This really doesn't make the list of a lot of haunted locations because there's not um, that much out there about it. And I think that's really because the proprietors of the Hermitage Hotel want to keep the hauntings aspect on the down low. I would really love to see... Uh, like Ghost Adventures, for example, come here and investigate the Hermitage Hotel. I don't know if they've ever tried. And I don't know if the Hermitage wants that type of publicity. And I think that's probably why the reason uh, that a lot of people aren't, that don't know about this. The Hermitage Hotel, taking its name from nearby President Andrew Jackson's estate called the Hermitage, it opened its doors to guests on September the 17th, 1910, and was designed and built to be a world-class facility. Since then, countless famous and historical figures have stayed inside of this wonderful-looking hotel, this exquisite hotel. The list includes presidents, actors, actresses, politicians, gangsters, musicians, and, and many, many more famous people. John F. Kennedy even used the hotel for his headquarters during his 1960 presidential campaign, if that tells you anything. Huh? It changed hands several times over the years, but was bought uh, back in 2000 by the Historic Hotels of Nashville and renovated to capture its former glory and is now the only five-star five hotel in the Nashville area. With all the, the um, hotels that are being built here in the Big Nasty, that's probably going to change eventually. But as of now, it is the only five-star hotel in Nashville. It has 123 guest rooms and suites, a restaurant, a bar, event and meeting rooms, fitness rooms, and all these kind of amenities as you would expect from a five-star hotel. One of the things that you do not expect a five-star hotel to have, though, are ghosts. For years, 
Guests have reported the sounds of a baby crying all night coming from room 912. Formerly, it was room 910, but thanks to the renovation, things have changed. Uh, famously, you'll if you are able to find anything out about it, it does say room 910, but it has now been changed to room 912. When someone is, is sent to check on this baby crying, obviously the crying stops immediately. When the doors open to the room, the room turns out to be empty, no crying baby, nothing. Legend says that a baby died during a stay at the hotel and has never left the building. I don't know if that's true or not. It cannot be substantiated. However, the sounds of crying babies, that's very well documented. Despite the fact that the room's supposed to be unoccupied, the report persists to this very day. The room, like I said, was initially room 910 in the hotel, but it was reportedly changed thanks to renovation when the walls between the rooms were taken down to make for a larger suite. Today, room room 910 doesn't exist, and some believe that the hotel is trying to escape the notorious reputation for room 910 being haunted, and that's the reason why they renovated that particular room. Like I said, I I don't know that the people that own the Hermitage Hotel really want to be associated with ghosts and hauntings. Uh, one of the more famous hauntings there, besides the, the crying baby, is that a woman dressed in white has been spotted gliding through the hotel now, while there have been various other sightings of a different woman in a Victorian wardrobe that are around on the first floor, the one with the woman in white seems to be the most predominant. So, yes, we have a crying baby in room 912, formerly 910. We have the woman in white gliding through the hotel. And we have more than one woman in a Victorian attire on the first floor. And finally... There is a giant mirror in the lobby that's been rec- reported to crack at the top of the mirror, then suddenly mend itself back together in front of the surprised eyes of guests and staff. Now, I have been inside the Hermitage Hotel. I have not stayed there. I have not gone up to try to check out room 912 or 910 at all. Um, I have seen this mirror. Uh, nothing happened whenever I uh, was looking at the mirror. Um I experienced no kind of paranormal activity while I was there. But once again, I did not go there to uh, hunt spirits or ghosts. I was not staying there as a guest. I just went in there to check the place out. It is beautiful. If you ever come to Nashville, you need to go check out the Hermitage Hotel and look through the lobby and find that gigantic mirror and stare at it until it cracks. (laughs) That sounded kind of bad, didn't it? (laughs) Number four. The Orpheum Theater in Memphis, Tennessee. The Orpheum Theater was once known as the Grand Opera House. It was built in 1890 on the corner of Beale and Main in downtown Memphis, and its popularity grew until it joined the vaudeville Orpheum circuit in 1907. Then for nearly 20 years, it saw a successful string of vaudeville performances until one fateful day in 1923 when a fire destroyed the theater. But, like anything else that's haunted, like a witch-defying gravity, right? The 1928 Orpheum Theater rose again, twice as large 
and with a number of new bells and whistles, including things like chandeliers and a what they called the mighty Wurlitzer theater organ. And as time marched on, it saw the occasional bump in the road, what with almost being torn down to make way for an office complex at one point, but thankfully that didn't happen. And then from 1977 onward, the Memphis Development Foundation has managed the theater and from there, they've showcased many acts and major Broadway productions over the years. In 1982, it closed for some massive renovations, which uh, took two years to do, and it didn't reopen until 1984. And it's more or less how you see it today from 1984. The best-known ghost out of the six who apparently live at the Orpheum is Mary the spirit of a 12-year-old girl who frequently shows up. The most famous person to observe Mary was Ewell Brenner when he was rehearsing for the play The King and I in 1982. Now, Mary is widely described as having long, braided brown hair and wearing the prerequisite white dress, and she's often observed in the balcony in seat C5. Sometimes she's heard giggling while running up and down the aisles. Now, no one knows why Mary is haunting the Orpheum or if Mary is even her real name. Um, no one knows how she died. There's a rumor that says that uh, Mary is the ghost of a 12-year-old girl who perished from an accident right outside on Bill Street in 1921 and that she was brought into the theater and, and died there. Uh, others say that Mary was a little girl who died in a fire that struck the theater in 1923, but we don't have any definitive proof. Now, there's been several um, uh, professional, if you want to say professional, there have been several televised ghost hunts of the Orpheum Theater, and I, I do believe Ghost Adventures uh, visited there uh, several years ago. Uh, and uh, I think maybe even uh, Ghost Hunters, uh, the TAPS crew, visited there at one point. Um, there's been some pretty cool documented evidence of Mary. I've never seen anything that had, uh, a, a full bodied apparition, like a picture or anything like that. But I have, uh, heard, um, audio of, uh, Mary giggling and, and stuff like that. So there legitimately is something going on there at the Orpheum, you know, whatever the cause of Mary's death, one way or another, she's found herself in an eternal patron of the Orpheum Theater and has haunted it for well over 60 years now. She's a pretty friendly ghost, one who sometimes enjoys playing the pipe organ or, or singing, or like I said earlier, running up and down the aisles. Of course, to an observer who's grounded in this mortal realm, that innocent behavior often manifests in the form of disembodied voices, footsteps, and mysteriously open doors and stuff like that. Uh, like I said, she's also been seen from time to time in her favorite seat, seat C5, found on the mezzanine level. Uh, she's described as the dark-haired girl in the old-fashioned white dress. And uh, one person says she has eyes that see infinity. And I don't know what they mean by that. I guess it just meant piercing deep eyes. I, I don't know. Maintenance workers, particularly at night, aren't free of her spirited playfulness either. In fact, she sometimes has proven to be a pretty helpful spirit. One night when the pipe organ had broken down and was 
proving to be pretty much unfixable. Uh, there was an organ restorer named Harlan Judkins who was they had called in to work on it, and he decided to take a break and head out for coffee. And when he came back, somehow mysteriously, the organ had repaired itself, perhaps with a little bit of ethereal assistance from Mary. Very interesting story. That moves us to number three, which is these top three are pretty much my favorite favorites besides the hermitage hotel uh these top three are are like i said pretty much my favorites as far as hauntings and and spirits and everything in tennessee Uh, number three is the tennessee state prison which is located right here in nashville tennessee state prison was built in 1898 and over the years it was in operation uh it gained notoriety thanks to several attempted breakouts and there were several riots and it was massively overcrowded. Um, the Capitol punishment facility housed the assassin of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Johnny Cash played for inmates there in 1968 uh, and more than 100 prisoners were executed there using Old Sparky, which was the name for the state electric chair. Uh, it was originally built to hold 800 cells, but on opening day, I believe they said they transferred 1,400 inmates there, so it was like overcrowded from day one. Uh, and it stayed in operation until quite recently, up until 1992. Since then, it's become famous when it's uh, been used in the filming of a couple of movies. One was The Green Mile, another was Ernest Goes to Jail. And then, uh, which was not so famous. And then there was one called. Um, it was with Robert uh, Robert Redford, um, the castle with Robert Redford. Um, so it's been used in in a few films. And today, unfortunately, it lies abandoned. But it's certainly not unoccupied. There's not just one ghost that haunts this place. Instead. All of those lives who were taken by old Sparky seemed to roam the halls, causing visitors to hear sounds, voices, and footsteps. Now, that may be a little bit of an exaggeration when I say all the lives who were taken by old Sparky. We have a lot of ghosts in the Nashville, in the, uh, in the Tennessee State Prison here in Nashville. We don't really, I've never, I haven't run across in my research um, any documentation about who they think these ghosts are, but what is reported are uh, frequently reports of cell doors being closed by themselves, cold spots, uh, disembodied footsteps, and even boot prints in the dust where no living person has supposedly walked. Um, Visitors have often reported all kind of numerous other sounds, including um, uh, other heavy metal doors closing, not just that of the uh, cell doors. Um, other visitors have encountered apparitions of prisoners in the corridors and in the exercise yard, while people passing by on the street have reported seeing faces peering out from the windows. So there's a lot happening at the Tennessee State Prison. Uh, at one point, it was on my bucket list of places to to investigate, and it still is, but unfortunately it's just really hard to get in there these days because they've, they've closed it down due to um, uh, just the well, the state of disrepair it's in. It needs a lot of work and, it, and it's unsafe. There is a Facebook page um, that is dedicated to saving the old prison. 
Uh, The name of the Facebook page escapes me, but if you just do a uh, Google search for uh, the Tennessee State Prison in Nashville, it'll pull it up. But it's a very fascinating place. It looks, I mean, it looks haunted. I mean, you know, you look at a at a place and go, "Wow, that place has got to be haunted." That's what you think about when you see the Nashville prison. It's just freaking haunted as hell. I said Nashville prison, Tennessee State Prison, and that moves us to number two, the old South Pittsburgh Hospital in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Now, this too is also on my bucket list of places to go investigate, and I am in final arrangements right now for doing that exact thing. And hopefully before the end of the summer, I will be able to go down there and investigate the old South Pittsburgh hospital. And if I do, you can damn well bet I'm going to have an entire episode of Parareality Radio devoted to that investigation. So the old South Pittsburgh hospital is considered by many to be one of the most haunted places here in Tennessee. If you're interested in experiencing a haunted hospital firsthand or would like to indulge in overnight ghost hunting, man, this is the place that you want to go. It's located at what many refer to as the foothill of the South Pittsburgh mountain in the appropriately named South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, which is in the West Tennessee area. In order to truly appreciate the paranormal activity associated with this haunted hospital, it's first important to learn a little information pertaining to the history of the land where the facility currently stands. One of the most distinctive characteristics about this property is that there's a natural-based spring that runs underneath this haunted hospital. It runs directly into the northwest region of the Tennessee River. River. (laughs) It's because uh, of this spring that many people throughout history were naturally attracted to the area. In its early days, the city of South Pittsburgh was referred to as Pittsburgh Landing. And it's said that a ferry located approximately an eighth of a mile from the hospital's grounds transported soldiers from the north and the south to the region so they could make their way to the popular battlefield known as the Chickamauga. Back in uh, 1778, a special tribe called the Chiha used the land where the, where the haunted hospital now stands, and they basically they lived their everyday lives there, engaged in their everyday today activities, and, and called that place their home. Uh, some of the things that that they did there at that location was uh, they grew um, extravagant orchards, and it doesn't go I, the the info that I found doesn't go into what kind of extravagance there were, but uh, there were extravagant orchards. Uh, there was plenty of hunting there for the various types of uh, you know animals, deer. Um, you had squirrel. You had rabbit. Um, most appropriately, the deer, uh, plenty of, of water, obviously, to do fishing. And during the Civil War area, the tribe permitted soldiers from the north to use a section of the land that's now behind the old South Pittsburgh Hospital. And they had just allowed them to uh, store various supplies like artillery and stuff like that. Unfortunately, the soldiers of the South eventually invaded the region, the region and launched assaults on the Union soldiers. And as a result... There were a lot of uh, deaths there, uh, not only from soldiers, but also from the tribe. Uh, And even uh, 
<clears throat> they even say some uh, Indians from the Cherokee tribe died as well. And uh, the Confederate soldiers were the ones who emerged victorious from this battle. And many believe that the deaths contribute to the land's reputation of being one of the most haunted places here in Tennessee. By the end of the summer of 1863, the Union soldiers had successfully reclaimed the land and held it until the end of the Civil War. But despite this, many individuals residing in the community experienced a lot of hardships because of the fact that many soldiers took the livestock that these people had raised and the foods that they stored and items that could be used for first aid purposes and other types of necessity, well, the soldiers took it for themselves. It was then that the residents realized they could experience a high level of fortune by selling the various types of minerals native to the region as well as the limestone heavily present in the geography of the area. Not too long after experiencing success with this, the railway came to the region and offered a lot more opportunities. However, the land still retained the devastating memories of war, homicide, death, and destruction. And it's because of this that many believe that the land where Old South Pittsburgh Hospital is is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Tennessee. Throughout the history of the hospital, many people have reported various types of paranormal activity. Many believe that the hauntings could be a direct result of the colorful past related to the land that the hospital is on, such as I just described. Others believe that the activity stems from the, you know, the injuries and, and illnesses and deaths that occurred while the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital was serving the community. Regardless of what's resulted in the paranormal activity, there's one thing that's certain. This hospital is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Tennessee. Many paranormal investigators have conducted overnight ghost hunting tours and have acquired evidence that indicates something unusual is occurring in and around the hospital. This evidence, as well as the stories from locals, past employees, and other visuals all point to the fact that this haunted hospital has many stories that it wants to share. So here are just some highlights just a few highlights on the stories surrounding the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. Many employees that worked at this hospital when it was in full operation share stories of unusual events that occurred during their shifts. It wasn't uncommon for these employees to observe various inanimate objects like medicine carts, hospital beds, wheelchairs, and things like that move on their own. People on overnight ghost hunting trips there have also observed this very same phenomenon. This is one reason why people consider it to be haunted. One of the most haunted, should I say, in Tennessee. I keep saying that over and over again. Maybe I should stop. It's starting to get annoying in it. Many people employed by the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital claim that they've observed a dark, shadow-like figure in the corridors and rooms of the structure, and many of these visions were enhanced by seemingly disembodied voices. A lot of people felt that these figures were intruders that meant harm for the hospital or the patients. But after they investigated it, it was discovered that there was no living presence in the areas where the apparent shadows were heard or the voices were the shadows were observed or the voices were heard. Been talking too long. On the third floor of this haunted hospital, many have reported the fact that they've seen a shadow figure of a man that's approximately seven feet tall 
and they think that he's one of the past surgeons that practiced there. It's common for these reports to come with witness statements claiming that this spirit tells the living to get out or leave the premises altogether. Many spirits that seem to be intelligent hauntings have informed several of the living that this spirit does not want them associated with the place that they're in. There's, while no one has experienced any type of injury associated with this, they have felt this surgeon's presence in an overwhelming manner and claim that it appears as if he's hiding something. By participating in overnight ghost hunts, if you go there, you may be able to experience this presence if you go upstairs on the third floor. Uh, this is um, one of the main things that people say uh, that happens whenever they uh, investigate there is that they feel an overwhelming uh, sense that they're being watched or uh, a heavy feeling in the air like something's like not quite right. Here goes my creepy clock again. There's also a female spirit that apparently used to work as a nurse that resides in the basement of the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital that uh, has garnered the reputation uh, the naughty nurse. She seems to, uh, what she does is, is she touch touches people in uh, places that are personal, like in the, in the naughty bits, and she whispers sweet nothings in the ears of those that visit the basement. In addition... Uh, a spirit that looks through uh it looks as though he was a a doctor in life as well has been seen down there as well as someone who looks like who they say looks like he's a janitor because he is in like a a, a janitor type uniform also seen in the basement of the hospital so you got three different apparitions or spirits and just in the basement alone and as I said, the third floor is very popular. It's uh, haunted by that seven-foot-tall surgeon. Um, there's quite a few other ghosts there as well. Uh, one of the most popular is a toddler that appears to be either two or maybe three years old that uh, seems to enjoy playing around or uh, he he uh, he enjoys the living, playing with him, so if you bring a ball or a toy or something like that, he is bound to play with it. Uh, many people have stated that he requests to be held uh, when they hear playback EVP. And for some reason, someone started referring to him as Buddy, and I don't know why, but that is what his name is, is Buddy. And in addition to this, there's a spirit of an elderly woman that's often seen upstairs and many also claim that they've seen the ghost of what appears to be a female nurse on this floor as well. So the third floor in the basement, just hot spots of paranormal activity. And that's just a few of the stories that come from the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. And that is the reason why it is my number two of the 10 most haunted places here in Tennessee. So that leaves us with only one person, one way to go, and that's to number one. And before I do that, I'm going to count down from 10 to 9. So just bear with me. Number 10, the Bell Witch Cave in Adams, Tennessee. Number 9, the Carnton Plantation in Franklin, Tennessee. Number 8, the Wheatlands Plantation in Sevierville, Tennessee. Number 7, the Rotherwood Mansion in Kingsport, Tennessee. 
Number six, the Pegram Family Cemetery in Pegram, Tennessee. Number five, the Hermitage Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. Number four, the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, Tennessee. Number three, Tennessee State Prison in Nashville, Tennessee. And number two, the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, which leaves us with only one left. And that is, of course, my number one most haunted location here in Tennessee is the Hales Bar Marina and Dam in Guild, Tennessee. This is located on Nick Jack Lake on the Tennessee River in Marion County. Hales Bar Dam sits on former Cherokee land. In 1775, Richard Henderson and Daniel Boone negotiated the Treaty of Sycamore Shoals, which persuaded the Cherokee to sell a large portion of their land to Henderson's Transylvania Company. Uh, Cherokee Chief Dragging Canoe was not happy about this, and he was said to curse the land, vowing that it was a dark and that it was to become a dark and bloody land. He said the land would be unproductive, uninhabitable for anyone who tried to settle on it. In 1904, Congress approved the construction of the dam, and it began in 1905 was completed in 1913, and its primary job was to keep the whirlpools at bay along the Tennessee River. The dam project was so large that it required over 1,500 people working six days a week, 24 hours a day to do the project. And reports say that if a worker was unlucky enough to fall into the cement that was being poured at the time, he was just buried alive inside of it. In 1922, the Hales Private School was constructed in Guild, and children who lived on the west bank of the river had to travel across the river in, in the dimly lit tunnels that ran under the dam. Now, the Tennessee Valley Authority, also known as the TVA, acquired the dam in August of 1939, and the TVA was unable to control the leaks that had occurred in the dam. In 1960, the dam failed, flooding the local area along with hundreds of graves that consisted of a lot of children's graves who died during the Spanish flu epidemic in uh, 19, through ni- 1918 through 1919. In 1968, the TVA decided to demolish Hales Bar Dam and replace it down the stream with Nick- Nickajack Dam. The Hales Bar Dam Powerhouse was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 2008, and it now sits empty and is used for boat storage. And that's what is known collectively as the Hales Bar Dam now is the um, um, powerhouse. The area around the dam, or where the dam used to be, is now used for marina and a resort. So getting to the hauntings. Visitors, staff, and paranormal groups have all reported a variety of paranormal activity. Uh, It's located in the powerhouse of the dam. Like I said, there's a natural whirlpool there where apparitions are seen quite frequently. Some say the Native Americans used to see their ancestors in this whirlpool, and they believe that if they got too close to it, their ancestors could reach out and grab them and pull them down into the whirlpool. There have been reports of lights, orbs, apparitions, uh, EVPs have been captured there. They've heard screams. People have been scratched. You can hear children's voices. Uh, 
uh, people have been touched, and there's also an overwhelming feeling that someone's walking through you. Uh, there's even been reports uh, that uh, someone has been possessed. More than one person actually has been possessed while investigating at the Hell's Bar Dam. Other reports have been uh, of sounds like chanting, like Native American chanting to be uh, believed to be that of some of the Cherokees that used to live on the land. And some have reported seeing an apparition uh, on the catwalk that's believed to be Cherokee chief dragging horse or dragging canoe, excuse me. Um, he is, like I said, the one that was, he was the chief that uh, was not happy and supposedly cursed the land after it was sold to us, us white people. Uh, there's also been the spirit of some unknown little girl that's also been reported there. It's said that her remains are still trapped in the dam, which would explain why she's been unable to rest. As far as I can find out, this report is unsubstantiated. It may come from the fact that during the flood, um, that all those children's graves were uh, uprooted because of the flood. So something may have come from that. Uh, but Hell's Bar Marina and Dam is definitely a top haunted location, not only just in Tennessee, but I think in the United States. Might not make the the top 10, but it's definitely a very haunted location in the United States. Uh, and if you go there, you, you definitely will capture some... Uh, something uh, you may even get touched or possessed i know uh taps from the ghost hunters did an episode there i know ghost adventures have been there i think um uh kindred spirits i think may have been there that show um there's probably been more that i can't even remember or don't even know about and it is a very very highly Gosh, I just lost my train of thought. It is a very highly haunted location. There's a lot of happenings going on there at the Hills Bar Dam. So that's it. That gets my top 10 haunted locations in Tennessee. I'm sure some of those you've heard of. I hope that some you haven't, and I've given you some new places to check out. If you happen to come to visit Nashville, which seems like everybody in the whole damn United States is coming to visit Nashville or move here, but if you happen to come here, you need to visit one, at least one of these haunted locations if you can. And if you do happen to come into town, why don't you get in touch with me and let me know that you are here? I'll just go ahead and give you all of the different ways that you can get in touch with me because, you know, I do it a couple of times during the show. First of all, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality Radio. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email, sandman at parareality.com. Like I said, that's one, just one of the different ways you can get in touch with me. Uh, speaking of parareality.com, uh, I encourage you to visit www.parareality.com. That's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to this episode and all of my past episodes there in the archive section. I have a paranormal news section that is updated daily that has um, all of your uh, top paranormal news headlines from around the world. So if you don't know where to go to get your paranormal news fix, you can always go to parareality.com and save that in your favorites. I recommend it. Uh, you can uh, click on the extras tab too and see uh, a few of the show videos. 
Um, I have uh, my News of the Strange video series that I post up every so often. I have some cool old paranormal documentaries that I post on uh, that part of the website. You can also join the official Parareality Radio Forum, which is free to join. Uh, you can shop in the Parareality Radio store and um, help support the show. I'm probably one of the only podcasts in the world that doesn't use Patreon um, to to uh, uh, hit up people. You know, while I would love to be able to make a living doing nothing but Parareality Radio, I know that that is not... Um, a viable thing, and I'm not trying to do this to uh, to like I said, it would be nice, but I'm not trying to do this to to earn a living. I'm doing this because I love doing podcasting. I love my my podcast, and I want other people to be informed of uh, paranormal and other unusual, mysterious things. The world is full of them, so I. Don't have any plans right now. I think of uh, joining Patreon and trying to 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 bulk you, uh, you know, out of your your, your hard earned money. I want my show. Uh, I want Pair Reality Radio to be free, and I want it to remain that way. Like I said, it would be nice if if someone were to come up to me today and say, "Hey, we're going to pay you the exact same amount of money that you're making right now in your day job to do this show." I'm all in. I'll do it five days a week. Hell, I don't care. You know, just I, I would I would love to do it, but at the same time, I'm not all about trying to make you pay for you know extra episodes and bonus episodes and secret episodes and all this other sorts of stuff. I'm not about that. The only thing I ask is that you just you know check out my uh, my my stupid little shop there on Cafe Press, which I'm probably going to try to find a, a new shop. But you know every every dime that that I make from that, which is Basically, nothing goes back into the show. So I'm not asking you guys to pay for subscriptions. I don't think I ever will. I always want Parareality Radio to remain free. So uh, anyway, like I was saying, you can get in touch with me by emailing me, sandman at parareality.com. You can go to follow the Parareality Radio Facebook page just by typing in Parareality Radio on their Facebook search engine. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at Radio, And uh, let's see, you can always call the studio line and leave a message. That's 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is area code 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. If you are coming into the Nashville area and want a paranormal tour of the area call me up i'll be more than happy to meet you and take you on a paranormal tour won't cost you anything i do it for free i would love to meet some paranormal enthusiasts and take you and show you some of these hot spots that i've been talking about especially the ones in the local nashville area Um, if you have a story that you would like to share with me if you want to be a guest on the show Email sandman at parareality.com or call 615-692-1170 and leave your story on the on the voicemail, and I will be more than happy to play it back. Uh, and speaking of, of the show and everything and how you can get in contact with me, did you know that you can now listen to Parareality Radio on a variety of different websites and streaming platforms? The show can, of course, be heard on the primary 
which is Spreaker, or at parareality.com. But you can also hear it on Facebook. You can hear the show on YouTube. That's Parareality in the number one, no space, Parareality one on YouTube. Uh, if you want to stream the show, you can do it from, like I said, Spreaker or Parareality.com. You can stream it on Google Play. You can stream it on Stitcher and Player FM. I'm working on Spotify and um, whatever iTunes podcasting is going to morph into now that iTunes has been discontinued. I'm going to work on that. So hopefully that'll be coming soon. And if you have an Alexa device... Ooh, I just said it, and and she's like, she's like, yes, I'm listening. If you have one of those devices, you can enable any of the Spreaker, Google Play, or Stitcher skills, and uh, open them up, and simply say, Alexa, play Parareality Radio, and she'll do it. So those are all the different platforms that you can uh, hear the show on. So I I have actually. Uh, Streamed my own show. I've tested it out on on some of the um, uh, Amazon devices, and it works pretty well. So if you have an Echo device of any type, you can listen, enable those skills, and listen to Parareality Radio on your Echo. So the show is going to return next Friday. Not next Friday. The next Friday that the show is going to be back on is on Friday, June 21st, 2019. Man, taking a week off has just really wrecked my timing. So let me start that over again. Parareality Radio will return on Friday, June 21st, 2019 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. That is when Eric P. will be returning as co-host of the show. And we've got an interesting show lined up for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to be surprised. Everyone, I hope... This radio show opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again two weeks from today. Take care, everybody. Good night. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.